Hello there, old and new friends. Welcome to Divine Musing, episode 13, If You Are. I am Destiny Rambo Corey, and I am so thankful that you have joined me for this journey into scripture, literature, poetry, and prayer as we view them through the light of transformation and growth. Here's something I've been thinking about lately. We begin with the poem titled The Tiger by William Blake. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night, what immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? In what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire of thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? And what shoulder and what art could twist the sinews of the heart? And when the heart began to beat, what dread hand and what dread feet? What the hammer, what the chain? In what furnace was thy brain? What the anvil, what dead grasp? Dare its deadly terrors clasp? When the stars threw down their spears and watered heaven with their tears, did he smile his work to see? Did he who made the lamb make thee? Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night, what immortal hand or eye dare frame thy fearful symmetry? I have always loved this poem. Blake did such an amazing job painting the devil in such a way that really makes you think. Oftentimes when people talk about Lucifer or his demons, it ends up sounding like some kind of B-list horror film with these creatures babbling about, uh, covered in spikes and pitchforks and pointy tails, just being foolish. Other times we see the devil portrayed, portrayed as this sort of dark man who is in a dark suit and is weirdly seductive and intrusive. I personally have never imagined creatures of darkness either of those ways. As once beautiful beings who were created in the hearth of heaven, who gave it all up to follow Lucifer, there has to be something about them that is shrouded in mystery. I love Blake's question, did he who made the lamb make thee? I'm not gonna try to decipher the realm of darkness today, but I want to talk about one of the ways the great deceiver still tries to manipulate and control humanity today. The way he begins to make us question the reality of who we are in Christ by asking a simple three-worded question, if you are. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's a story that tells about an encounter between Jesus and the devil in the wilderness. This story begins in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had gone without food for 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus replied, it is written and forever remains written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. 
Then the devil took him into the holy city, Jerusalem, and placed him on the pinnacle, highest point of the temple. And he said mockingly to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to serve, care for, protect and watch over you, and they will lift you up on their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written and forever remains written, you shall not test the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory, splendor, magnificence and excellence of them. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written and forever remains written. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and ministered to him, bringing him food and serving him. The devil really should have known better than to ask I am that I am if he knew who he was. If you are seems kind of wasted on the son of God. I do wonder though, if at this point, the interrogation wasn't just to test Jesus's divinity, but to test his humanity. As much as Jesus was the son of heaven, he was equally the son of man. And I often wonder how intense his internal struggle must have been. Did he always feel like God's son on the inside or did he doubt himself in a way that all humans do? I have to believe that Jesus was a good mix of both. And every time his divinity triumphed over his humanity was a lesson for us to learn. I've said it before and I will say it again and again until I can't say it anymore. The life of Jesus is the greatest treasure map we could ever follow. I personally can hardly wrap my mind around the fact that he fasted in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. I've done a 40 day juice fast and a Daniel fast and a couple other different kinds of fasts, but I couldn't even imagine what the addition of the heat of the wilderness would do to exaggerate the symptoms of hunger. It's interesting that the devil waited until he was hungry to start asking questions and that his first one had to do with food. I'll say this, hungry destiny is not pleasant to be around. I start getting lightheaded and irritable, which is often really difficult to manage. Uh, I do my best to rein it in, but every once in a while I get a little bit snippy. Um, when I was a kid, my mother taught me this acronym called HALTS, H-A-L-T-S, and it has stuck with me so strong. The point of halts is to remind you to never make a serious decision if you are hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or scared. If you attempt to do so, you'll more than likely make some kind of manic decision and not an informed one or from you know a place of clear-headedness. The enemy of our soul knows this about us and will often try the same ploy he used on Jesus. He will wait until we are one of those things, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or scared, and will start asking if you are. The further we have descended into those states of mind and body, the stronger the questioning becomes. 
See, the devil in and of himself just doesn't possess any power. When Christ descended into hell in the days between the crucifixion and the resurrection, he crushed the serpent's head. But what the enemy still does have is his lying tongue, the thing that landed him the nickname deceiver. If he came into my house just yelling wildly, you're worthless and no one cares what you have to say, or you're too old to start something new, the kids think you're a poser, I would swat that kind of accusation away like a mosquito in the Carolina summertime. But if he can get me to say those things about myself and not only say it, start to believe it, I will actually paralyze myself. If he can come to me and ask, Hmm, so if you're so called to make music that's gonna change the world, then why is no one listening to your music? Why isn't it charting on iTunes? You know, if you are so called to this. Or he'll say things like, if you are uh, meant to be a voice of healing to those battling with their trauma and shame, then why can't you get your own shame under control? Why would they want to listen to someone who's made as many mistakes as you have, you know, if you are called to be a helper or a healer? Those kinds of if-you-are's that get me questioning my faith, my calling, my identity, and my value, those things are like picking up a handful of little vipers and setting them loose on my soul. At first, they're just questions. No big deal, right? But then I start to replay them over and over until I can't sleep. And then I replay them over and over until I can't focus on the task at hand. After a while, I start to believe the lie that these questions are rooted in and I convince myself that they're true. Then to take it even further, I start projecting those beliefs onto others. The ultimate goal of the enemy is for us to shut ourselves down and for us to isolate ourselves. It's so much easier to live in a lie when you have pushed away everyone who loves you enough to speak the truth into you. When Jesus was questioned in his state of hunger and more than likely loneliness and tiredness, he didn't answer in his own strength. He probably didn't have much of that left he began to draw on his well of foundational truths. He combated the deception with the reality who God has always been, the truth of scripture and the knowledge of heaven. Eventually, the strength he gleaned from in that truth rose up within him so much so that he commanded Satan to be gone. The enemy would like us to believe that we don't carry that same authority against him, but we do. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, Listen carefully. I have given you authority that you now possess to tread over serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy, Satan, and nothing will in any way harm you. If you are in a place of discouragement and needing the strength to stand again, if the enemies, if you ours, have seeped so deeply into your mind and your heart that you find yourself believing those lies or even isolating yourself because of those lies, then why don't we take a minute and pray this prayer together? Divine Creator, 
I am so thankful that you sent your son Jesus to crush the head of the serpent. I know that you have already delivered me from the deceiver's lies, but help me to let go of them forever. Help me to believe the truth of who I am in you and to allow that knowledge to pierce like a light through the darkness. Meet me in my frailties and teach me how to overcome the deception that tries to convince me that I am worthless. You sent your son to die for me and that is more than enough to show me that I am not worthless. If there is any venom left in me, remove it with your kindness and help me to believe the truth of who you say that I am. You have given me authority over the powers of darkness and I choose from this day forward to walk in it. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I will leave you with a quote from one of my favorite books, A Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. Devils. Both the lusty thickheads and the sharp, clever deceivers are always clowns. Though they may triumph in the world of space and time, both they and their work simply disappear when the perceptive shifts to the transcendental. They are the makers of shadow for substance. They symbolize the inevitable imperfections of the realm of shadow. And as long as we remain this side, the veil cannot be done away. I hope this musing has given you a little something to think about too. Thank you so much for joining me today for Divine Musing. For more information, head over to www.rambocory.com. I would love to connect with you on social media. You can find me at facebook.com forward slash destiny makes music or on Instagram and Twitter at Des Rambo Music.